Father, once again, we look to you now. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, who is our guide. We do look to him as our helper. Lord, we just ask you to, to speak to hearts, to give us direction, instruction, and righteousness. Lord, help us to be thoroughly equipped for every good use, fit for the master's use. Lord, thank you for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, I want to read beginning in verse 13, 16, 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Is that an important question? Would that be an important question for us today? How many know that question uh, is pretty key to a person's eternity? Hmm? Who you say Jesus is? I know there's a lot of answers to that today. Some will say that he, doesn't, he, he never even existed. Some will say, that, you know, it's all been made up. You know, some say, well, Jesus was an angel, that he was, an, uh, he was Michael the archangel. Well, that's too bad that they would say that. Uh, some say, well, he was a prophet and a good teacher, right? How many know, if you have any of those answers... It leaves you lost, separated from God. Hmm. There is only one correct answer concerning who He is. And that answer is very important. How many know uh, it's not all about having a good motive or having a right heart? There are some things you actually have to be right about. And being right, now there's a whole lot we can be wrong about. Not desirable, don't want it, but it's not going to have as big of impact on our lives, right? But there are some things that you have to be right about. And uh, just like in school, you may have taken some tests where there were a lot of questions that were worth, you know, one point, two points, five points. But then sometimes you run into a question that's worth half the grade, half the test. And how many know that one's more important? <laughs> Not that the others aren't, but if you, if you miss that one, you flunk. This is one of those kind. You miss this one, you're toast. All right. And so it is of utmost importance. You know, you can be wrong about healing, for example, about whether God wants you to be healed or even how that healing comes. How many know you still go to heaven? If you got this one right, you might go sooner. Right? But you still go. Thank God. You got the main question right. You can be wrong about uh, God wanting to bless you uh, financially in in prosperity questions. And you might live poor and broke and stingy uh, all the days of your life. But if you get this question right, you still go to heaven. Thank God for that. Now, I'd rather get all the questions right. And I'm working that way. You know, I'm striving to to be as right as I can about everything that the Lord shows me. And uh, if you live long enough and walk with the Lord long enough, you'll find that He will show you areas that you're wrong and that you have wrong thinking about. And we must all, of course, be open to correction and change in those areas. But this is one of those 
most important questions. And Jesus was, again was asking, what's everybody saying about me? What's the word on the street? What's everybody talking about? Who are they saying that I am? And they said, well, you know, a lot of different answers there. But when Jesus asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter spoke up. Now, that was not uncommon for Peter to speak up and be the first one to say something. But he was right on the, uh, he hit it right on the nose on this one. Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know, one way to be blessed is to receive revelation from God. When God opens your eyes, blessed, blessed, blessed is the person who understands, the person who sees, the person who knows what the truth is. And I, uh, and I also say to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Notice what he said. You are Peter. That word Peter is a, is a, a Greek word that means a piece of rock. He said, you, you're, you're Peter, you're a rock, you're, you're a piece of rock. He said, and on this rock, that's, that word there translated there is a massive rock, okay? It's a huge rock. Uh, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, how many know Jesus is called the rock? And Jesus is what the church is built upon. And even specifically, it's knowing who Jesus is. It is that understanding and revelation that uh, he is the Christ, the Son of of the living God. Isn't that good news? That he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Upon that understanding and revelation of who he is upon Jesus, he said, the church will be built and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. This is the first instance of the word church in the New Testament. This is the first time this is brought up. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the church and what that means. And uh, how that impacts our life and what the purpose of the church is. And, and that might seem to some simple or uh, elementary, but that's okay. I want you to know that's all right. And uh, it's oftentimes in some of these areas that people think they have an understanding in that a little misguided um, belief system about it can be very uh, detrimental and tragic in their life just from a foundational standpoint again i've used this illustration different times before but uh many who watch sports know that the best teams out there whether you're talking about football or or uh basketball or something the best teams out there are not those who have the most trick plays but usually they are the teams that have the fundamentals down they know how to a football team, they know how to block. They know how to run their routes. They know, the, you know, they know how to carry out the fundamentals of the game and, 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 and do that efficiently and effectively and continuously. And they may throw a few tricks in there, and that just helps them out and livens things up. But they've got to get the basics down. And in my experience, too often, um, you know, to take, for example, the subject of divine healing. Too often, it's not that a person needs a brand new, fresh 
revelation that no one else knows. They need to find some hidden scripture that everybody else looked over before they can be healed. Actually, there's enough power in by his stripes you were healed to heal every person on the planet of every disease and every problem, just like that. There's enough inherent power, but sometimes we look over things that we know and we think, oh, I got that part. I know that. Well, not if it's not evident in your life, not if it's not working. You don't know it like you can know it. Amen. In fact, why don't you look over at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 while I make this point a little bit further. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and notice with me in verse 3, the Apostle Paul writing here said, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Notice, there is a work out there. The enemy, the devil himself, is at work to, um, to deceive and basically uh, corrupt, uh, to corrupt our minds from the simplicity that is in Christ. Sometimes people get too complicated. And in looking for something deep, I'm, I'm going to press into the deep things of God. And, uh, uh, you know, we're just going to really dig. Well, sometimes those who are really digging and really looking for something deep are missing everything that's right upon the surface. They're thinking, well, you've got to dig for gold. Well, but not if it's laying on top. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go ahead and pick up some nuggets while, while they're right there on top? But again, the enemy works to do this. He works in, against the lives of believers to corrupt their minds and get them away from simplicity. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we're the most astonished and the most amazed with those who come across and appear to have deep knowledge and understanding and, and, and can make things really simple, sound really complicated. <laughs> you know, when we, we go away thinking, wow, that was, that was man, there were, that sure was. <laughs> and uh, what, what was it? I, man, I don't know. It was good. It was... It was really good, though. I'm going to have to think about that a lot. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's never any, t- any time to really dig and meditate on something and uh, glean further insight and understanding. But I'm telling you, it's the gospel that we're supposed to be involved with. It's supposed to be simple. Okay? And the Lord wants us to be able to understand things very simple and, and not get moved away from the simplicity that's in Christ. Amen. You know, I've, I've seen at different times people who are just brand new believers in Christ, just recently saved, and seen them have such an impact on other, uh, other non-believers, bringing them to the Lord, when, when oftentimes those who have been saved for years and decades have very little impact, if any, on other people for the gospel's sake. And what's always interesting to me when I've seen that, and I could give you specific examples uh, if I were to you know, take time to do that now, but what I've been astonished at is oftentimes, I mean almost all the time, these people can't quote one verse of Scripture. I mean they might know John 3.16 or something that was shared with them in relationship to the gospel, but they'll probably quote that wrong anyway. And they probably say the prayer wrong. 
you know, when they lead that new person to the Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They don't get it exactly right as far as quoting the scriptures. But, you know, they, they get the gist of it. And their heart is, well, Jesus died for our sins and he was raised from the dead. You'll accept him. You'll be saved. And that's about all they know. And yet they put it into practice and they change lives. See, it's oftentimes the most simple truth. The Lord did not make the gospel hard. He did not intend for this to be difficult to understand. Simply a heart of humility approaching him and an earnest heart that's hungry for him. How many know what Jesus said in Matthew 5? He said, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. He didn't say those, were bri- those who were brilliant, those who could figure everything out, those, were who, those, those who were so diligent to study for hours and hours, day after day, they'll be filled with righteousness. Oh, I'm telling you, someone who doesn't know hardly anything. But they realize, man, I'm lost, and Jesus is my Savior, and I receive him. <laughs> that quick can they be changed, and really, sharing that simple truth, they're used of God, used in the ministry, oftentimes more than, uh, like I said, people who've studied a lot and who, who can quote many uh, verses of Scripture. And so let's not get moved away from this. Uh, he, he went on to say in, in verse 4, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached... Or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not, not accepted, you may well put up with it. So how many know he's not complimenting them here? He's, he's giving them a little jab. He, he's giving them a little, little rebuke. He said, someone could come into your place. They could talk about a different Jesus. They could talk about a different spirit. And you'd allow it. You'd be okay with it. You'd say, oh, isn't that nice? He said, well, your minds have been corrupted. You've got away from the simplicity that's in Christ. You'd entertain some other, some other business here. And that's the simplicity of that is what we need to have uh, uh, under our belt where we stay with what is simple. Amen. Now, again, uh, let's talk a bit about what, uh, what is the church. Talk about what is the church. And if you were to look up this word, which... I did, did it for you. (laughs) Uh, The word church comes from a Greek word that's called ecclesia. All right. The church in the Greek is called ecclesia. What that word means is uh, real simply, it means an assembly of people. It refers to a gathering. Okay. When you say, I am a part of the church. I am in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That refers to a gathering, okay? Refers to an assembly of people, okay? Now, in the day that Jesus was using this term, when he first used it, it did, people's minds didn't go to what we automatically understand today as the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That didn't exist, But Jesus said, I'll build my church. And so they didn't go, well, what's a church? Because, you know, the church age, as we know it, did not exist then. They were still under the old covenant. Okay, that came, you know, from Moses and the the law from Moses and so forth, the covenant with Abraham. Uh, But they were under the old covenant. The church age, as we know, that began after the resurrection... 
that we live in, that didn't exist. They didn't know it was going to exist. But Jesus started using this, this word church. What did it mean? Well, to them, they didn't go, huh, what's the church? To the, what it meant was a gathering, an assembly, okay? When, he, when Jesus said, I will build my church, they immediately thought, okay, Jesus is going to get people together. That gives me understanding right away. And, and we'll get into some more of this uh, later. But we need to have the understanding that the church is not just... Uh, Hmm, how can I say this? I'm going to explain, explain this in greater detail. But there are misconceptions about the church today. And there's oftentimes too much emphasis on the individual aspect of that. And how we don't have to come together to be a part of the church. But the very meaning of church has to do with people gathering together. It's the very nature of who we are in Christ that we get saved and now we meet. Now we assemble in places together. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not supposed to carry the notion of just church where it's everybody everywhere by themselves alone having a relationship with God the church is to give the connotation in our minds of people coming together all right now this word ecclesia really comes from two words eek and <laughs> and lesia no uh, actually the noun there would be kaleo if I'm saying these words right ek, probably ek uh, uh, but those words mean this. The first word, E-K, uh, means out from. And the second part of that word, kaleo, means to call. And so in a literal definition of the word, it simply uh, means the called out ones. When we say we are the church, who, who are we? We are the called out ones. What have we been called out of? How many know the scripture says we have been called out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, right? So you and I are the church. What is that? It should give us a couple, a couple connotations in our mind. One, we've been called out. God saw us, liked us, <laughs> in fact, loved us, and he said, come here. And he called us out. He said, you, over there. Me? Yeah, you in darkness, you lost in sin, you, you know, who have all kinds of trouble and you're eternally separated from me, come here. And he called us out of darkness into light. And we, didn't, we know he did that by the sacrifice of his son and then the drawing of the Holy Spirit, right? So we've been called out, but what we've been called into? A gathering. We've been called into, and we, we'll, we'll use other term, terms, uh, family and, and some other things as we go along. But we've been called to be together. My relationship is, and my, uh, my part in God's kingdom is not strictly individual. And me and the Lord all by ourselves, the Lord's intention was never that. But he called me out into his family. So I can be together and I could gather 
and I could meet in an assembly with others who've also been called out by him. Isn't it amazing? You got an invitation. You were specifically chosen. And we know this. You say, but the Lord makes a way for everybody. And thank God he does. But I want you to know within the mind of God, it's not just a mass. Within the mind of God, he doesn't look and just see billions of people as billions of people. He knows your name. He knows your email address. Huh? <laughs> he, he knows your password. <laughs> he knows you personally, likes you, <laughs> called you out specifically. But he died for the whole world, yes, but he also died for me. And I was on his mind. And you were on his mind. And thank God we answered the call. And here we are, a part of the church, the gathering that the Lord Jesus himself has pulled together. Amen. Now, uh, the universal church is comprised of all believers of all ages, both in heaven and on earth. We are a part of something pretty massive. There are many of us around the, around the globe. In fact, evangelism today is taking place at a very high rate. We're sometimes limited, and, and we, we see people being saved in our locality and around the United States. But if you go around the globe, there are many places that are experiencing um, evangelism, evangelism on a much broader scale. Where so, I mean, it's, I've heard stats, I don't have them before me, but uh, that even in the last few years, last handful of years, there have been more people saved than there have been in 2,000 years. And there, it's just, in different parts of the, of the world, uh, South America, Africa, China, there are just tremendous stories of mass evangelism, people getting saved by the, by the droves. And it's an exciting thing to be a part of. But also, how many know we have family in heaven? Whether you have bl blood family there or not, you have blood family there. <laughs> Talking blood of Jesus family there. And, uh, and, and it, so that, that's what we need to have an understanding of is the universal church is both in heaven and earth. And it's every single person on the earth who's received the Lord, all believers. In fact, Ephesians 3.15 uh, the scripture says this, speaking about Jesus, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole family in heaven and earth. So God doesn't see even a distinction in his family between those who are in heaven and those who are on the earth. We are one family, just in different stages of, uh, of our life and that transition. Uh, why don't you turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2, since some of you are already heading to Ephesians 3. Make sure I was telling you the truth. Which is okay. Check up. Make sure we're speaking the word. In, 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 a, in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to look at some scriptures here at the first part of the chapter. Uh, understand that there is a very clear distinction in the mind of God between the saved and the lost. And, and I want to bring out these, these, these simple truths uh, because, again, people get away from the simplicity that's in Christ. And your, your minds can be deceived. And my mind can, could be deceived if I don't watch it. Uh, with all kinds of um, good-sounding ideas. And we're living in a time where everything and everyone is to be accepted 
And every belief is to be honored and held as equal in value to every other belief. And to call, to call a behavior or to call uh, someone's belief system wrong is really condemned. And even to the point where someone is called a bigot or a hater, if you say that you're wrong and I'm right. Or you say that this belief is wrong and this belief is right. That's just being intolerant. How many know what I'm talking about? Do you understand the, we understand the language. Uh, we need to differentiate between um, the love of God and calling a spade a spade. You can and we all should have the love of God flowing out of us toward everyone no matter what they believe or no matter what their actions that's who we are in Christ. That's the love of God. And uh, obviously we can spend a lot of time talking about that. But that's not to say that a person who walks in love doesn't say, no, that's wrong. Doesn't say, I don't know, that's, that's incorrect. That's contrary to, what the, to the ways of God. Okay? And believers need to have a really good balance of that especially in our day where there's the temptation to avoid persecution just to say, well, you know, what's good for you? I mean, I guess that's, uh, you know, whatever you want to believe, I guess that's okay. And, you know, all roads lead to Rome. And, uh, you know, God, you know, just ex accepts any person no matter what they believe. And, well, that's just not true, though. And ultimately, I'm not walking in love if I don't confront wrong belief. Now, listen, if someone's wrong or someone's behavior is wrong, I don't have to drive it down their throat. I don't have to pound them into the ground and make them feel like a rat, you know, and, and come across as I've got it all and you've got nothing. I'm something special and you're a piece of dirt. Okay, that's where that gives this a bad name because that's not the love of God. Okay, and this is where the balance comes in. We love, we don't condemn, we don't put down. But if we're going to be challenged with something that's a lie, I'm standing up for truth every time. Amen. All right, standing up for truth. And, and that's, what, that's what we need to understand. There is a clear distinction in the mind of God as to who is a part of the church and who is not. Okay, now I realize this, that we can't always just at first glance, look at a person and know what God knows about them. That's why we're told, judge not. Hmm. As far as other people, you can't just look at a person and know what their heart and motive is. You can't just look at a person and ex understand why they're doing what they're doing. That's why, you know, keep your hands off of that. Okay? But not judging... How many know that's not uh, that doesn't come into play because th that kind of stuff is can be used to get people to back off of truth. Well, you're taking a stand for this. You're just being judgmental. Well, I can judge a lie. He who is spiritual judges all things. So we understand this language. So, uh, you don't take the, the statement of Jesus. You know, I heard one time uh, re recently someone did a a particular. Uh, a study again about what's the most popular verse of scripture in different time periods and 
you know, years ago, I forget what it was. It might have been, you know, like John 3.16 or something like that. And, uh, but, but when I had read this, they said, but in this modern study, the most popular scripture was judge not lest you be judged. And why is that? Well, God's just revealing that these days. <laughs> it's because it's being taken out of context and it's being used to shut Christians up. To shut up those who really want to help and for, they don't, uh, the, basically the devil doesn't want people to take a stand. And so we're intimidated by calling us hateful and judging and all this kind of stuff. No, a spiritual person judges everything. But I'm not being, I don't have to be judgmental of a person. Even if I see that their behavior is wrong, I, I can say that's wrong without being judgmental of them. You know, and being a hypocrite, which you, well, I don't want to get, that's Matthew chapter 7, right? You want to look at that, uh, maybe we will later since I've stirred it up. <laughs> didn't really intend to let's get back to ephesians chapter 2 it says and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins notice the clear distinction i know i've been i've been accused of having a black and white personality but i've got scripture to back it up (laughs) well listen certainly there are some things that are that way all right, whether that's your personality or not. This is, this is very clear. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, nothing in between. A person today, how many know this is not talking about physical death? Talking about a person's spiritual condition. Everyone is either alive or dead. That's why I give a strong altar call in our services and i try to make it very clear and if i'm not sure or if a person is not sure whether they're alive or dead i say call yourself dead and let's go ahead and have a resurrection here (laughs) you know what i'm saying (laughs) i don't mean i don't want people to question their salvation that they've already received that's never we need to be secure in who we are in christ but at the same time i've run into too many people who thought they were saved. In other words, they became religious in their experience, but they never passed from death to life. That's dangerous. Hmm. I was, uh, you know, one time I met, met this guy and we were spending some time together and, and, uh, and in the course of our conversation, I asked him uh, because I knew that he was of a Christian heritage or surrounding. or He had some kind of Christian connection. And I knew that he most likely believed that he was a Christian. But I, did, I wanted to help him out just in case. All right, Wasn't going to try to talk him out of anything. But in the course of our conversation, I asked him, when did you get saved? When did you receive the Lord? And I'm just curious. I'm thinking I might just get an answer like, you know, when I was such and such years old or recently or a long time ago, you know, something. But I found a lot of humming and hawing. And he started explaining to me a period of years when he began to learn about the Lord. And when he was doing that, I'm thinking the whole time, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. I had that little flags going off, 
I caught one, a religious guy. <laughs> Thinks he's saved because he's been to church. Thinks he's saved because he's been around Christian people or is associated with a particular Christian movement, movement or denomination. And so I let him talk, and, and then I just went in to uh, explain to him some of these truths uh, about death and life and how Jesus said, uh, you know, unless a, a, a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so I just explained these truths to him, how you don't get saved over a period of three years. Just like you're not born. Any mothers, did you ever, did it take three years to get that baby from the womb to the, to the air? <laughs> no. In fact, they wrote down a time, didn't they? 8, 12 p.m. That's when the baby popped out. Or whatever. <laughs> I wish it would have popped out. <laughs> <laughs> Took 24 hours. <laughs> Uh, but I explained these truths to him, how the new birth and spiritual realities were the same. You might have learned about the Lord or been drawn by the Lord, and maybe that took a few years. But there had to come a point in time where you said, yes. You said, Lord, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Something happened. And come to find out, because, uh, uh, well, I, I, I just let him think about it. Sometimes you need to seal the deal, and sometimes you need to let someone chew on it because you can see let the spirit of god work with them anyway this particular person got saved within a few days and yet they were a christian before i'm using that word very loosely now they were a christian in their own mind but in reality they had a christian religion but they didn't have a christian experience they didn't have an, an encounter with god where their life was changed this is real clear in the mind of god okay you were dead you were he made you alive. You were dead. Verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. All right. Notice that terminology. Sons of disobedience. I mean, that's not, a, not exactly uplifting. The people who are dead are also referred to as sons of disobedience. Who's your dad? Disobedience. <laughs> okay, it's talking about the very nature of who they are. They're, we could say it this way. People on the earth today are either saved, they're in the church, or they are a son or a child of disobedience. That's one way to describe a spiritually dead person. Okay, here it gives us dead, he's the ver- or son of disobedience, among whom we also... Uh, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath just as the others. Now notice that terminology again. He calls them children of wrath. There are a lot of people today on the earth, they are children of wrath. How many know that's different than the mindset of what's promoted oftentimes by sometimes good-meaning people, but they say, we're all the children of God. Every, all, you know, after all, us human beings, we're all God's children, right? Do, do we hear that? Well, 
we need to understand the Lord's not saying that. Say, but I, I think I believe that. Well, why do you believe that? You, someone told you that. You heard that somewhere. Okay, but it's just not true. Hmm. And I'm not really loving people if I tell them that. Oh, well, you know, we're all God's children. No, we're not all God's children. God's kids are not called sons of disobedience. You're calling him disobedience? Or sons of wrath. God's children are not called dead in their trespasses and sins. Right? This is a clear distinction in God's mind. It must also be in our minds. And when we recognize this, then we can be of great help to people and not just wallowing around in all the, the confusion and gray area that our world lives in. There are too many people. They have no idea if they were to die today where they'd be. Many times people would answer that question incorrectly. I, I, think it's, I think it's tragic, though. I remember I was in a park one time. when had some people with me. I was in a park, and we uh, got in a conversation with these, I think there were four young men, teenagers, late, late teens. Started talking to them about the Lord. And Went through all this stuff, asked them questions like that. You know, if you were to die today, what would happen to you? Or, if, you know, if you ever, maybe you've used this one. Uh, if you were to stand before God and He asked you, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? All right? That's a telling question right there, by the way. What would you say? And the answer I got from these guys was typical. You know, well, you know, I've been a good person and, you know, I'm doing my best and, you know, and so, so forth. And so we went on, shared the difference, shared about the new birth. I shared with them about being saved. And, would you, is there, you know, oftentimes I'll use this language. And is there any reason why you wouldn't want to receive the Lord right now? And usually they think, no. <laughs> and so they all prayed, were saved. And then we, you know, we're just talking with them a little bit more about their life. Come to find out. They were all a part of a church. And I would tell you the name of the church, but I don't want to cast a shadow on it because it's big in our area. I'm not talking about a cult. I'm talking about a Christian church. And I remember being shocked. You tell me you guys go to church regularly? Yes. You go to the... And it's not a bad church. Don't, I mean, as far as the movement as a whole, they're Christians. They believe about salvation what we believe, they have an understanding. And I thought, how in the world, are you, were you guys really not saved? You know, and I'm not sure to this day, they may have already been saved. They may have gotten saved there. But I know this, they were dumb as a doorknob. <laughs> and I think that's tragic when someone's in church. And they're not, they don't understand the very basics of what we're talking about here. A person is either alive or dead. They're a son of God or a son of the devil based upon their acceptance or their rejection of Jesus. How simple can we get, but yet people are in church and they can't explain that. All right. I don't mean to sound too hard. If you say, I haven't been able to explain that. Well, that's why we're here. All right. And I hope to make this really, really clear. And if it seems deep 
and profound, and I don't think I did a good job explaining it. All right, But I think it should be very understandable for every one of us to know the difference and recognize who is in the church, the universal church, and who's not. And it's not about who's in the pew. I mean, no, being in the pew and being in Christ are two different things. <laughs> being on the membership rolls of a, of a church or a denomination is not the same as having your name in the Lamb's book of life. And we need to recognize the difference. All right. Look over at John 8. And I'll finish this point that I'm making with this other scripture. It's good to have more than one scripture if you're going to be make a strong stand or dogmatic case about any particular truth. And we're not exhausting it, but just give you a couple things here. John 8 and verse 44. This is where Jesus was speaking to some folks that uh, he wasn't building them up at this point. <laughs> Jesus said in John 8:44, "You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie." speaks of his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But I want you to notice that Jesus spoke to human beings. And he said, you are of your father, the devil. Should they have said, oh, excuse me, um, Rabbi, we're all God's children. Don't you know? Don't you know we're all children of God? Well, was Jesus confused? Or was he right that they were of their father, the devil? So we could say that all of us, we are either, we either are or at one time were children of the devil. We say, what does that mean? It simply means that we were separated from God through sin and our nature was that same nature of the devil. A sinful, fallen, full of wrath, disobedience, darkness. That was the nature of our spirit. But thank God Jesus came in and everything is different. Amen. How many know we were made right? We were made clean and pure by our faith in the blood of Jesus. What he did for us at Calvary. And because of that, we're sin-free. Yeah. Good news about that is how many know you can't make a mistake and undo that. You can't sin and undo what Jesus did. That's another subject. But how many know we're not to be born again, again? Born again, 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 again. There are some that give that feeling to people where they're constantly beat up and beat down, and if you sin, man, you need to get saved again. You, if you sin, you need, to get, you need to get right with God again and again and again. Now, sometimes we may use that terminology, uh, uh, and I use that sometimes during an altar call about getting right with God. Partly, can I, I'll just tell you the thinking process behind that, I don't know where people are, and I'm trying to minister to them in a way that they will understand. And if a person is simply backslidden, they're just not been in walking in fellowship with God, 
they're saved. Hmm. But they need to do something for their own relationship with God's sake, not because God is holding their sin against them, but it's affecting them and keeping them out of a relationship and walk with God. Okay. But right at the other, at the other uh, side, many times when you say that, it's actually dealing with people who have not been born again. And their not being right with God is literal. It's literal. They ha- do not have right standing with God because of their sin. They need to receive for- the forgiveness of their sin and receive eternal life. Amen. So Jesus made this distinction. Uh, the Bible is very clear about this. Now let me, let me cover this next area, and then we'll, uh, we'll pick up on this teaching later on. But a little bit about what the church is not. What the church is not. This is simple, but again, let's get it, okay? The church is not, number one, a building. The church is not a building. Now, in the, in the time that we refer to as the early church, all right, in these Bible days, um, there were no church buildings, we know the Jews had synagogues and, and there were some temples and different things like that. But there were no church buildings. And so basically, there was no word for such a place. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was not going down to visit the architect to get a great design so they can build a nice church. That, really, that thought was not in anybody's mind, okay? Whereas today, it can be kind of murky. What are you talking about? Okay, there were no, even in the book of Acts and and through the epistles, there weren't church buildings. They didn't have any church buildings. Nothing was built yet, I understand, until about the third century, okay? In In those beginning times, they met wherever they could, some of them met in houses, and they'd get a group together here, and a group together here, and then they'd come together wherever they could come together, all right? But they didn't have what has been developed in our country, uh, what we call churches all over the place. So there were no buildings like that. In the, when they started to come up in, in the third century, they started using a word. It's a Greek word called uh, kyriaki. It's got a couple K's in there. Uh, and this word simply meant the Lord's house. And that, that distinguished it in their time from the church. Because again, what's the church? That's the gathering. That's the called out ones getting together. Uh, they are the church. Um, when we call a, a building a church today, it's really kind of like a figure of speech. There, there, there's a word that describes that for... Uh, um, you language folks, English people, and hopefully I, I say this right because I didn't really, I don't use this term. It's metonymy, metonymy. Anybody know, aware of that? Good, I'm not the only one. Uh, but it's it simply, it, that word is a, it's a figure of speech meaning the container uh, put for the contents. And it's like even in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 11:26, it talks about communion. says, for as often as you drink this cup. How many have ever drank in a cup? <laughs> well, we don't drink a cup, 
But what that is, it's referring to the contents of the cup. And when we use that today referring to a building, we say the church. Ultimately, we're talking about the contents of the building, which is the church, the body of Christ, the called out ones who have gathered together. Okay? Now, it's not a problem. I'm not here to change our terminology and say we can't say I'm going down to the church. But it is important that we have in our minds the real nature of the church. And we understand it's not about a building. Uh, Buildings are used to house our our gatherings and our meetings, but the church is not a building. All right, number two. Number two, a church is not a denomination. Okay, now in my discussion here, I'm not anti-denominational. I'm not against different denominations no for anyone who's preaching the gospel gathering together as the body of christ okay but it's not a denomination sometimes people refer to today uh, someone may refer to the catholic church well you know speaking of the different groups that meet all over that's not the way the bible uses that it's not referring to a particular denomination or uh, you know like a southern baptist you know, the Southern Baptist Church, and someone might be referring to the whole thing, everyone who's a part of that, okay? Again, we're not against them, or to, that's just not the way the Bible uses the term church. It never referred to the building. It never referred to a particular denomination. Uh, and we kind of uh, emphasize or made mention of this point already, but it's not everyone who calls themselves a Christian, the church is not uh, defined by everyone who calls themselves a Christian. There are people today who call themselves a Christian, and they're not. Not by biblical definitions. I don't say that, again, to be harsh or judgmental. Ultimately, I'm not telling a person whether they're saved or not. But I can say for certain that it is very definable in the Word of God and in, in God's eyes and how he sees everything, it's very clear. There are no gray Christians. And we use this terminology, and whatever, you know, sometimes we'll have a discussion about someone. Uh, my wife has said this before about someone. She says she'll call them very saved. <laughs> and, of course, I'll have to, you know, jazz her about that. They're very saved. How saved are you? <laughs> you know, or someone else who's ever heard this one? Barely saved. <laughs> we need to understand that in reality, no one's barely saved. And not unless you're talking about they died on their deathbed. You know, you say, okay, they barely got saved before they died. Thank God. But, but there, there is no one in here who's more, you know, unless you're not saved, but for those who are believers, no one here is more saved than others. I, I, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Am I more saved than someone who's not? Absolutely not. Do I have any more rights standing with God than another Christian? No. What about the person who just got saved? 
Is he more or less saved than someone who's been uh, reading their Bible, sharing the gospel, you know, praying for the lost and doing all kinds of stuff for decades? No more saved or lost. No one's barely saved. You know, no one's really saved. What we're doing is we're looking at it from the outside. And we see people who live uh, their lives at different degrees of holiness, different degrees of sanctification. And we call some really Christian. They're, they're, they're a, a good Christian. <laughs> and another person is, you know, we're not sure. And don't get me wrong. I understand the thought process of wondering if it's the real deal with someone. And wondering, we saw them, we saw them pray the prayer. And now look at them. And I understand that there are questions whether someone is really saved. But ultimately, they either are or they aren't. All right? You're either saved or you're not saved. And this is a distinguishable thing in the mind of God. And what's most important is that you know where you're at. <laughs> that you understand your right standing and place with God. And if you've received Him, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, don't go around questioning that. Because that will serve to make you, uh, you know, ineffective as a Christian. You'll go around feeling bad and not really being, being able to bring life to somebody else. Be secure in Christ and your own salvation. And that will go a long way. Amen. Man, there's some more I wanted to get to, but... Unless the Lord comes back, we'll get to it. <laughs> and if he does, we'll get to it anyway. <laughs> we'll get together. Because that's, that's who we are. We gather. <laughs> we assemble. Amen. Because we are the church. Are you saying that someone's not in the church if they're not gathered or assembled? No, I'm not saying that. And I, and I intend to show you that a little bit more. There are legitimately people who are a part of the universal church who are not doing any gathering. All right? They're not coming together. All right? But I'm just saying that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not really God's design. It's not really His definition of the church. Jesus could have called it anything. He, he could have said, I will build my pods <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Individual. You know, he could have he could have used a word that emphasized individuality. He could have used that. Uh, he could have used a word that didn't imply coming together. And said the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But there is something about getting together that the devil can't stop. And there's a truth there that we need to get a hold of. There is something about being united and being one. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Amen. Father, thank you tonight for your presence and your, your, your spirit here with us. Lord, you've, you've called us out. We're so glad. Lord, we're so thankful that we are the called out ones. Lord, we've been purchased by your blood. We've been saved by your grace. And we've been called to be together with you forever. Lord, thank you for your help. And in this we ask that you would give us a clear understanding of the church that we've been called to be a part of. Lord, thank you for your help, for revelation knowledge coming to every single person. May everything be simple and understood by all. I 
thank you for it in Jesus' name. Father, I do pray for those. Again, I can't look at everyone and just know where they're at spiritually.